In the beginning, a podcast was created. This has made a lot of people very angry and been widely regarded as a bad move. I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki! Hi. Don't talk to me about hi. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kiki, system saying that we're not alone here. What do you got? It looks like we've picked up a hitchhiker. Hitchhiker? You know how much I hate hitchhikers. Uh, well, hitchhiker, who are you and why are you here? Well, I just stuck out my thumb and here I am. My name's Adam. I just happen to be passing by and uh, your ship, uh, your podcast ship looked like a fun place to be. Oh, you're going to find out that's not the case. <laughs> but no. yes, 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 we are talking about The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy because uh, it's Towel Day, at least when this episode is getting released. Uh, as uh, some of our long-term podcast listeners are aware of, we've been doing a Doctor Who retrospective in honor of the show's 60th anniversary and the big move to Disney+. Plus. When it came down to doing the fourth Doctor, that was a big dilemma because we really wanted to do one of the episodes written by Douglas Adams. But we also really wanted to do an episode about Sarah Jane Smith. <laughs> So we did an episode about Sarah Jane Smith that was not written by Douglas Adams. So we made the decision, well, why not? When Towel Day comes around, we finally hit the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy because Disney does own that movie. And uh, also, this is the part where I go a little, Marvin. Uh, a certain number is creeping up on some of our people on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, this 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 summer we're we're, we're all gonna hit the answer, aren't we? Well, yeah. not not all of us. I think I think Adam's gonna avoid the answer for a little bit longer. But yeah. I just hit uh, one one year away from the answer uh, on May sixth. So woo! So we're all we're all just heading towards the answer, the ultimate answer to the ultimate question re regarding life, the universe, and everything. 42. Yeah, but what is the question? Uh, what do you get when you multiply six by nine? Six by nine? Forty-two? How many roads must man walk down? <laughs> oh, I like that one. <laughs> so, this was a movie, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie, that took a very long time to make. And to go all the way back to where it all started, this started as... A radio show back in the late 1970s when Douglas Adams first joined the BBC because he he had this idea. Uh, he was in, I believe, Austria, if I'm correct. Uh, am I correct on that? Yes. He was in Austria. He looked at a book called The Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe and came up with an idea 
about someone writing a book about hitchhiking through the galaxy, wrote a script, submitted it to BBC Radio and the BBC Doctor Who department, and he got hired by both. The BBC Radio wanted to take that script of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and make it a radio show. Doctor Who hired him to be one of their big writers. And uh, he was one of the more popular writers when he was working on Doctor Who, to the point that uh, when Tom Baker wanted to come back for the 30th anniversary, he specifically requested uh, Douglas Adams write the script. Unfortunately, that, that special never happened, but the script is out there. Uh, Doctor Who in the Dark Dimension. Uh, if you're curious of what a Doctor Who TV direct-to-video movie would have been like, written by Douglas Adams, uh, do check it out. It is worth the read. So yeah, uh, um, they, they've used they've used bits of unused Douglas Adams scripts for various things. Um, Shada, Shada especially. Kenga yeah, they did. Shada. They did Shada as the audio play with Paul McGann, and then um, Stephen Moffat took an old uh, Douglas Adams script or pitch that he uh, put in that was originally called The Doctor Retires, and he turned it into uh, one of the Matt Smith Christmas episodes called The Snowmen. Hmm. So that was originally, at least parts of it were originally Douglas Adams um, and then reworked by Stephen Moffat. And then part of... Um, Things from Shada and from City of Death, which of course did get made, um, were reused by Douglas Adams himself when he wrote uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. And an unused Doctor Who script called The Cricket Men ended up being the basis for the third book in the series. Uh, so, and even Doctor Who themselves to this day still reference various Douglas Adams works. And I mean, the first episode that David Tennant is in, he's in a bathroom and says he looks like Arthur Dent. Yeah. And claims to have met him. So not only is this Hitchhiker's Guide a book, a radio show, a TV show, but there are actual people out there that the Doctor has met. I mean, honestly, the universes seem very compatible. Yeah. I mean, Starship Titanic, does that count? Yeah, I think I so. I mean, yeah, it it's got so many tie-ins if you've if you've ever played it that yeah. And then they put the Starship Titanic in Doctor Who. Yeah. So yeah, it started as a radio series, two se two seasons of the radio series, each season becoming the uh the first two books in the series, Hitchhiker's Guide the uh Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and the Restaurant at the End of the Universe. Um some unused Doctor Who scripts were the inspiration for uh, the rest of the series, the restaurant at the end of the universe, like uh, the, the universe and everything, so long and thanks for all the fish, and mostly harmless. Uh, and in, uh, by the time we get to 1981, the specifically the radio series served as inspiration for the Hitchhiker's Guide television series. 
and it only lasted six episodes, but uh, it is worth watching. I actually watched that for the very first time in preparation for this episode. It's, it's pretty was, fantastic. It is. It is. Uh, there yeah. was plans for more, but uh, more of the radio show and more of the television series. But uh, there was there ended up being some 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 bad blood between uh, Adams and the BBC, and they kind of went their separate ways for a while. Uh, the 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 Cricket Men script that I mentioned uh, was reworked by Adams in an attempt to sell it to Hollywood as a movie, first as a Doctor Who movie. So can you imagine a big budget for the 1980s Hollywood Doctor Who movie potentially starring one of the 80s era Doctors? Or it could have been a brand new Doctor just for the movies, who knows? I think my mind has just been blown. Yeah, I mean, you you already know my feelings about mixing Americans and Doctor Who. <laughs> mixing American and British types of humor? We should do a podcast episode about one of those. Oh, wait, we are. Yeah. And no, Douglas Adams did say at one point that the only person who really needed to be British in The Hitchhiker's Guide is Arthur Dent. Which? Well, yeah, but I mean, I'm specifically talking about Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. When when the Doctor Who movie didn't, didn't ever happen, he decided to straight up take Hitchhiker's Guide and try to sell that to Hollywood. And he did eventually have a have a meeting with a producer named Ivan Reitman. Oh, who, who was very interested in doing the movie. Originally, Adams was nervous apprehensive about working with American Hollywood because he felt that they were going to turn Hitchhiker's Guide into Star Wars with jokes, but had a very good feeling after meeting with Ivan Reitman. Reitman and his people suggested that Ford Prefect could be played by an American and suggested Dan Aykroyd. When Reitman met up with Aykroyd. He had no interest in doing Hitchhiker's Guide, but he did bring up an idea that he had for a movie called Ghostbusters. Guess which one got made? I th- I think that that was that was the better idea because I do not think Dan Aykroyd would have made a very good Ford Prefect. Bill Murray. Bill Murray, maybe no. <laughs> I think Bill Murray would have made a better Ford Prefect than Dan Aykroyd, but I think it also would have ended up being. The Ford Prefect show. Yeah. So, so, thanks to Douglas Adams meeting with Ivan Reitman, we got Ghostbusters. Just proves that Douglas Adams is the source of everything good in the universe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean... The dog agrees with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, just hope the dog isn't eating any passing by aliens. <laughs> No, he's just barking at them. So, yeah, uh, it kind of, uh, the idea of a Hitchhiker's movie kind of went nowhere until about 2001 when Jay Roach, who had fresh off directing the Austin Powers movies, had approached Adams with an idea and had gotten Disney to sign off on it. So the uh, original idea was to have Spike Jones direct 
Hugh Laurie play Arthur and Jim Carrey playing Zaphod. Getting your idea. Yeah, I want your thoughts on that real quick. Uh, I, I could have done Hugh Laurie. But I, I think Jim Carrey as Zaphod is not. Uh, again, it would just become the Jim Carrey show at that point. Yeah. Unfortunately, everything stopped uh, when Adams passed away in May of 2001. However, there was still a, a want to get the movie made. Disney still had the rights, so they wanted to make the movie. But before we get to that, there was one more, technically, Hitchhiker's Guidebook written. And another thing written by Owen Kofer, best known for the Artemis Fowl series, which Disney also did a movie about. Strange Connections. So before and, we really uh, dive, unlike in- a lot of unlike a lot of most of a lot of uh, Hitchhikers fans, I don't hate that book. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. What is your personal opinion on? And another thing, there are people who disregard it because um, Adams wasn't involved because he had passed away. Some have accepted it. Uh, I'm just like your, your your quick thoughts on your own opinion on and another thing as a Hitchhikers book. You know, just in general. I enjoyed reading it. I do think it's. I do think it exists in my head as a really well written fan fiction. Mm. But that doesn't mean it's bad or that it's uh, any less valid than any of the other ones. I just, since it was not written by Adams, I, I just like it, it. It it feels like it's it's a lesser entry in the in the series, but also it it does fit. I think it's a little bit too plotty. There's a little bit too much plot and a little not enough of just bizarreness but besides that it it's you know it, it is a it is a perfectly serviceable piece of literature kiki i never read that one fair enough because it it came out after adam's death and i went i don't know the author i don't know why anybody's doing this i don't know who signed off on this uh, it was the it was Adam's Why do widow I that care? signed off on it. Yeah, his widow did get permission. But I mean, you know what I'm what I'm saying, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like at the time I was just like, I, I don't I don't know who who asked for this. I don't this the this is not for me. So I just never bothered to read it. Sure enough. And sure I've enough. I've never had the interest in it. And that book did come up in 2009, a few mo- a few years after this movie. And I assume that this movie did drive interest in the books and feeling that they could make some money just had someone write another book just to kind of cash in. Nothing wrong with doing a cash in, but uh, as, as Kiki would say, it, it, a lot of the fans just didn't deal with the book at all because it wasn't Adam's writing. Even the people who were doing the radio show, because after Adam's death, they decided to bring back the radio show. Now, remember, the original radio show only did two seasons, which were the first two books. After Adam's death, they decided to bring back the radio show to do the remaining books in the series. And even the BBC admitted "Mm, the only person good enough to write Douglas Adams is Douglas Adams. So they stuck as close to the books as possible, even if that contradicted stuff that happened in the original radio series. And that went to about 2018, and that did cover 
um, Life, Universe, and Everything, So Long and Things for Out of Fish, Mostly Harmless, and they even did an adaptation of And Another Thing. So we get to, to this movie. While Adams did do a script for a film, and the people involved with this movie say they stuck to the to that script as closely as they could. Um, there are times where it doesn't feel like that. Well, there, there are two screenwriting credits. There's Douglas Adams and then there's, um, Carrie Kirkpatrick. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm well, assuming, I mean, and I'm assuming they just took whatever the last draft that Douglas Adams wrote and then punched it up a bit from there. And they probably added some scenes and added dialogue and stuff that doesn't really jibe with the Adams style. But I, I honestly, I feel like the whole thing pretty, pretty does feel like a Hitchhiker's Guide movie. Yeah, and there are differences between all four versions of Hitchhiker's Guide, and that was intentional. Adams never really wanted them to be clones of each other, and. Adams did consider the radio series, the TV series, and the books all to equally be have the claim to being the source material. And he he felt the same about the the movie as he was writing it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, so, I mean, the the stuff that the the other guy had worked on prior to this was like James and the Giant Peach. Um, which I always thought was a really good adaptation. Um, and then he did the Honey We Shrunk Ourselves, which, you know, we kind of name-checked last week. Um, and Chicken Run. And Chicken Run, he did. And then he did some kind of... uh work on the screenplay for Rescuers Down Under and Road to El Dorado. Hmm. Um, so he didn't do like the full screenplays and get full credit for them, but he did some like punch-ups and and stuff for that. Um, so this wasn't his, his first outing and he had worked with, you know, adaptations and stuff before and and even stuff, stuff, I, even stuff in a similar style. Yeah. Like, Chicken Run is in a very similar style, I think. Yeah, and honestly, some of the the weird British humor of Roald Dahl, you know, even though Roald Dahl is leagues away from, from Adams, I would say. He's a bit but, of a proto-Douglas Adams. Yeah. I think, honestly... That as difficult as Hitchhikers is to adapt, especially if you're only doing a two-hour movie, it's kind of the the best you could get, especially if you're working from a script that Adams did himself. Mm -hmm. Especially since the adaptation of the first book in the series was three hours. Six episodes, three hours. Yeah. So it's not that difficult. So yeah, when it came to this movie, the the directing was done by Garth Jennings, and this was his first feature film. Uh, he's probably b- more well known now for the uh, Sing movies over at Illumination, but he's done some acting. He was in Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. He does actually does the voice for one of the mice in the movies. 
of course, they get the uh, Jim Henson Creature Shop to help with some of the alien creature effects, which I do was gotta, a good move. I do got to say that the practical effect, effects are really good in this movie. Yeah, I think the Vogons look fantastic. They like, mm-hmm. just look, they're gross and creepy and like just weird. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, little and things like, like the like the, like the, the fly swatter, mm-hmm. the fly swatter idea things <laughs> that they came up with <laughs> for this movie, um, which I think were a new idea that Douglas Adams had for this film. Uh, and a villain, we actually have a villain in this story, which was also a, a Douglas Adams creation. I think he knew that he had to do that because to make it a film because films always need an antagonist. Yeah, we got John Mal- Malkovich be just playing John Malkovich. I'm just going to be real. He's just playing John Malkovich. That's yeah, why you hired John Malkovich. Yeah, with the Kavula thing. Yeah. There are people who were upset about that, but I get it. You need you need some sort of antagonist, especially if you're making this for an American production. So compromises have to be made, and they did. You know, Douglas Adams and 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 everyone involved did what they could to keep the integrity of the story while also adapting it to appeal to an American audience. Unfortunately, it didn't do so well at the box office. So yeah, you know, I mean, I hate to. I hate to say it, but I I hate when we discuss these things and we go like, well, it didn't do so well. Because, you know what? It kind of freaking did, okay? They made this movie for like... Okay, 50, well... 50 million. It's like 50 million at the high end, okay? Which mm-hmm. is a pretty cheap movie for a movie like this. Mm-hmm. All right? They did not throw a lot of money at it. For this type of production. It made. Over a hundred million at the box office. Which means it definitely made profit. But I really need Hollywood to stop calling these things failures. I think. Because when you're also talking about what else, what else came out that year. You're talking about Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. You're talking about Star Wars Episode 3 Revenge of the Sith. You're talking the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. And you're talking about the remake of The War of the Worlds. Those were the top four movies that year. And And you know what? Everything is not going to be the top movie of the year. And I really need corporations to stop being like, well, we made money, but we didn't make all the money. So you're a failure. That's kind of where we, I mean, even with, I mean, that's why we have like 3 million streaming services now because they don't want to share the money. They want all the money. Yeah. And it's like, I'm, I'm so sick of this completely impossible idea of like. Constant growth. Yeah. The constant growth. That's, that's what it is. It's like. Oh, you're a failure to the shareholders if you don't grow the company X percent over last year. Because it's impossible to do that for infinity. It's 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 just impossible. It at some point you're going to either be the same or you're gonna have a down year. 
Because that's how life works. There's just not infinite of anything on the planet. Yeah. This did finish in the top 50 of the year, though. So it does have that to fall back on. Also, even if it didn't make money, it's still, spoiler alert, a good movie. So, you know. I and I I saw this movie. Okay, going to be real. I knew very little about the franchise going in. I knew that my friends liked it. I knew there's a guy named Arthur who wears uh, a bath a bathrobe. I know there's a guy with two heads, and I know there's a manic depressive robot. All three of those things. He's just a, he's just a regular dude. There's another dude with two heads, and you got a robot with depression. And I went, yes, I want to see this movie. So I saw this movie in the theater and. I generally did enjoy the film, and especially with the ending teasing the sequel, a sequel that will never come, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder how much how much of a tease to the sequel is and how much of it is is just a shout out to the, the book series, because I don't know that anybody would have wanted to do a sequel without Douglas Adams. Fair enough. Yeah. And well, I think they... And I think they knew they weren't going to do a sequel. I think even Adams knew they weren't going to do a sequel because this movie is very self-contained. This movie is wraps up all of the story elements very, fairly well. So I think even Douglas Adams knew, you know what? I got one shot at this and I'm going to make it my one shot. But how much of that was Douglas Adams saying, I'm never going to get a sequel? And how much of that was... Uh, what I like to call the Straczynski principle of like I I just don't do uh cliffhangers. Mm-hmm. Now you get every movie having sequel bait, whether they're they're going to get a sequel or not. The MCU built their reputation on it, which. If you're the MCU and you know definitely you're going to do a sequel, you know, mm-hmm. th- then, okay, fine. I kind of trust that they're going to do a sequel. But honestly, I really think everybody else should just live their life by the Straczynski model. You know, every season should wrap up a story, but there's enough room that you could grow these characters you know, don't kill off everybody at the end. You know, but there's enough room that the characters could move on if you get picked up for season two. Yeah, no no cliffhangers except for that time Garibaldi got stuck in a shadow ship. Yeah, but mm, you, you, you'd still be okay if he was just floating on that shadow ship, I think. <laughs> and yeah, how many, how many TV shows do we have we seen in our lifetimes that the final episode ends on a cliffhanger and it's like... Where's the rest of the story? There is no rest of the story. The show, the show was canceled. Well, yeah, why and did, I hate why that. Like, a... please, please stop doing that. It's not going to get your show renewed. Oh my goodness, just stop doing that. Stop doing sequel bait at the end of the movie. I I watched a movie one time that was based on an anime, and I got really into the movie, and they stopped the movie in the middle of the story. And I found out they had only made half the movie because they were so sure they were going to get to finish it in part two. 
and the movie bombed so badly that they never got to do a part two. And I was like, I'm never going to get to see the second half of the movie. And they ended like right before what would be the big battle. And I was so mad because I was kind of getting into the story. I was like, all right, yeah, let's go beat the bad guy. And I'm like, I'm never going to get to see the end of that movie. And it's dri- it drives my brain nuts that I'm never going to see the resolution to that story. It's just the first half of the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I-, I do give credit for them to just wrap up Hitchhiker's Guide in a nice little bow. That, it- yes, this is the only movie we're getting, but... It's the complete story, and then you have, and this is not the final story, because they'll go on to have other stories. We just won't get to see them. Oh, wait, read a book. <laughs> yeah, but but you feel like you've had a complete adventure with these characters, and it's a happy ending <laughs> that they will go on to other adventures. Yeah. All the you characters- don't feel denied those adventures. That's yeah. just their happy ending. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, let's go marching down the road into the sunset kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, can, can we talk about the casting in this movie, though? Sure, sure. I really want to do that because I feel like with a very few exceptions, this is kind of where I saw a couple of people for the first time. Martin Freeman. I think this is the first time I've ever seen Martin Freeman in anything. I had seen him in Love Actually. Mm. Because I saw Love Actually in its full uncut form. But if you ever saw Love Actually before this, just on TV, this was probably the first time you ever saw Martin Freeman. Because on American TV, Martin Freeman's storyline is cut out of Love Actually. To this day. I've never seen it anyway, so that wouldn't do, I I wouldn't know either way. Yeah, he's got a whole storyline in Love Actually where he's like a stand-in on movie sets. But he's he's a body double when they do love scenes on movie sets. And that's how he meets his love interest. And so you only really ever see him, like, mostly nude with the woman who's his love interest being the body double with, like, the the intimacy coordinator plotting out the, the shots before the, like, A-list actors get in there. Honestly, that seems like perfect casting for Martin Freeman. It kind of is. He just just, just radiates like every man vibes like that. He really, it's supposed to be that kind of thing. Like I work in movies, but I'm like the dude who's just the body double when they don't want to bring in the A-list actors to do the awkward bits. I'm the stunt wiener. (laughs) He kind of is. And so, but in American edits, they cut out his entire storyline Because he is nude for, like, 90% of his scenes. And you can't really show that on network television. And you can't, there's no way to really edit around him. So they just remove all of his scenes. So there's a whole storyline you never get on network television in America. and And so people don't even realize he's in it. And so that was... 
the thing where um, a lot of people, I think this was the first time in America they saw him because he was in the office. Yeah, the original version. In the UK, and that's kind of where he made it big. And then Love Actually was like his first big like international film. And then he got cut out of it <laughs> in the American version. So he wasn't as well known as the other people in the movie that made it bigger in America when it started really getting played around the holidays. And so then they were, it was like, oh, where were you in that movie? I don't remember you. So then his career kind of stalled again. And so then he didn't get the bump again until Sherlock. Yeah, Sherlock and the Hobbit <laughs> movies. And now he's, he's in the MCU. Yeah, so this Playing was really the thing the I knew Martin Freeman from until Sherlock. And you, you you made a good point. Martin Freeman is good as the everyman, which makes him perfect for Arthur Dent. And honestly, he for Bilbo, really too, they're kind Arthur of the same Dent. character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bilbo and Arthur Dent are very similar characters. They don't want to go on the adventure, but they're dragged anyway. And they wind up saving the world somehow. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, most Def I only knew as a rapper before this, so when they said he was going to be Ford Prefect, I was like, the the rapper because I had not seen him act in anything before this. Oh yeah, he apparently had a fairly long acting career before this. It was just in smaller things. Yeah, and none of them I had seen, unfortunately. But he was excellent in this, and I was really surprised and shocked. And Sam Rockwell, I think I had only seen him in Galaxy Quest before this. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how many of these people we've talked about before. Sam Rockwell, Martin Freeman, yeah. Warwick Davis. Well, yeah, and then and then a, a lot of these smaller quote-unquote parts were people that I really knew mm -hmm. um, from other things. So I think the only one of the, like, main cast that I knew was Zoe Deschanel, who I had heard of her. Um, and I really, really liked her in, um, like, Almost Famous. And of the main cast, I think she's the one that's uh, a little miscast in this one, I think. Yeah. I mean, she, she's good and she's cute, but it's just, I, I don't feel like she gets the, I don't feel like she gets the energy of Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah. I would kind of agree with that. I always, reading the book, I always felt like Trillian should have a little bouncier energy. And that's kind of what they got in the TV series. With having a high energy performance. But at least this Trillian is fully dressed and not walking around in a red bathing suit with a low V cut. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I did appreciate said, that. That being said, if Zoe Deschanel asked me to go to Madagascar, I would go in an instant without hesitation. I'd be buying the plane tickets right then. Ditto. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think that's kind of... Unanimous. <laughs> yeah. But but I, I kind of... I always felt in reading the books that Trillian was more like a chaotic energy kind of thing, you know? Yeah, and in this version, she's the most sensible of the entire group. She's the mom. Which, unfortunately, kind of falls into American type of the girl on the team. 
Yeah, they they kind of removed her her particular uh, quirks and just gave her like, oh, she's the girl. And if if there's any bit of it that is from studio manipulation or about the translation to American production, that's probably the most egregious part of it. Mm. Yeah, because I do not feel that that was very Douglas Adams. They and this is probably from Adams, but they actually give her a little bit more to do. Like in again, I've seen the, the the series, and she really doesn't. She really isn't bothered by the by the destruction of the Earth. At least in this one, she is. You know, coming to the realization that her home, her family are all dead, and it's all Zaphod's fault. The the only line that she gets in there that really feels like Adams would or could have written it was when they they point the, the, point the of perspective view gun. gun at her. Yeah. And she says, it won't work on me. I'm already a woman. Yeah. That feels like a very Adams-esque line. I don't know if it was his original or or what, but it does feel like it, it could have been his. And the now point of view gun seems like a, a, a typically, uh, typically Adams invention. Yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that was that was something from his his script. But uh I I love that point of view gun and it's like maybe it says something about me but it's like I I kind of wish that was real but then the problems of let's find the point of view gun and give it to the cult leader. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't have that in real life. <laughs> I think that that's kind of Adam's point mm-hmm. is that that's always the thing people tell you of like, well, you just need to see it from other people's point of view. And Adam's point was kind of like, no, honestly, a lot of times I do see it from other people's point of view and their point of view is stupid. Like yeah. you know, <laughs> and and and, and Zaphod doesn't care. He just wants to be famous for finding the question. So he's literally putting the entire universe at risk, so he can have a little bit more fame because being the president wasn't enough. Yeah, well, he discovered that the president really had no power. Yeah, and uh, probably the best casting out of this, Ellen Rickman as the voice of Marvin. Yeah, Marvin the paranoid android. You know, I uh, over they and beyond. They never even call him that in the movie. He's, I mean, like even like again in the book series, it's 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 Ford that gives him the name paranoid android, but they never do that in here. So, but then again, Marvin the manic depressive robot is a lot to say. I well, he's never Marvin. manic. He's just depressing. He's, he's just, just depressive. Depressed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love um, that. I love that uh, Zaphod at one point calls him Chuckles. <laughs> yeah. Um. And I love the addition of uh, Thomas Lennon as Eddie, the computer for the Heart of Gold. That uh, other perfect, another piece of perfect casting. <laughs> yeah. 
I'd love to do that for you, pal. But, right but my now, navigation system is offline. <laughs> yeah. And the only person in this movie that was specifically requested by Douglas Adams to be in this movie, Stephen Fry, as as the voice of the guide, the voice of the book, our narrator. They did go back and forth of a lot of people, you know, who can we get and uh, who would be best for this. Um, and the original narrator from the, uh, from the, uh, the radio series and the, the, the TV series had passed away. So they could get Peter Jones back. Yeah. But yeah, Stephen Fry was definitely one of the people that Douglas Adams had mentioned as he could, he could see that as an acceptable, uh, person. Replacement. Yeah. So. Yeah. My first encounter of Hitchhiker's Guide was not the series, was not the radio show, was not the book, was the songs. Because uh, I was a big listener of the Dr. Demento show back when it was still on terrestrial airwaves. And they would play all of the songs of Marvin the Paranoid Android, Marvin I Love You, Metal Man, Marvin... And the song that Stephen Fry does a cover of in the movie, Reasons to be Miserable. Reasons to be miserable give my brain a pain. Very little turns me on. Marvin is my name. He's a robot, that's a lot. Robot full of cares. He'd feel a little better if they broke him up to spares. So that was my first exposure to this, to this universe, was just hearing those songs and kind of not getting it that it's from it was from a show and it was from a book series or whatever it's like oh this is a song about a robot who gets message from another robot oh the same robot singing about how he's depressed oh he's singing about his owners that treat him like garbage oh these are fun oh this is actually from a thing and uh, I, I'd never heard any of those songs until long after I'd read the books myself, because I, I read, uh, I think I read Hitchhiker's Guide, the all five available books when I was about 12 or something like that. Mm. And it kind of informed how I feel about science fiction and comedy and science fiction from them, from there. I think my first thing was the BBC series, the TV series. I did not get to watch that until it got a DVD release when I was an adult. And then, of I, course, with the second it came out, I bought it and devoured it because it's it's also another perfect adaptation of the of the stories. Yeah, I think it. I think it either it came on the it came on PBS or maybe it was one of the things we rented from the library because the library in town had a big BBC collection. And we got a lot of like Shakespeare and and stuff from that collection, and so that might have been one of the things we got. Um, but uh, so it was one of those two things. But I'm pretty sure that was my my first. And then later, I was either a late teen or early adult when I read all the books. And then, uh, of course, you know, I had heard some of the songs and I had played uh, Starship Titanic and uh, some of the other 
Douglas Adams stuff. Did you ever um, play the, the 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 text adventure game? Yeah, I had played the text adventure game at some point. Um, an ex of mine was a huge Douglas Adams fan, so when I lived with him, he had a lot of uh, other Douglas Adams stuff. He had like the Dirk Gently books and stuff, which I never read, but he had a lot of the video games Douglas Adams had worked on. That uh, I, I think he had uh, video copies of the BBC TV series and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I adore I, the Dirk Gently books. They're so they're so good. I did watch the the Dirk Gently the new series that they did with uh, Elijah Wood. And also, I don't yeah. think I ever finished the second season of that, but I watched the first season. And I thoroughly enjoyed that as well. And I love that it was that it was a completely new story using the Dirk Gently character and like doing it pretty well, I think. Yeah. Um, and then there was, of course, the the unfinished novel, The Salmon of Doubt, which would have connected Dirk Gently and The Hitchhiker's Guide. Mm. Which they released as sort of a. Uh, a memoir of Douglas Adams, as well as the the bits that he'd written that never that never got released, and and it's you know it's kind of an interesting read. Apologies for the dog; he is keeping the Vogons at bay at the moment. <laughs> They're trying to because we don't want the we don't want a hyperspace bypass built through our planet. No, and of course, as I as I got more into uh, Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett, who were both. You know, Neil Gaiman wrote uh, wrote one of the good biographies on Douglas Adams, and then uh, he and Pratchett were good friends with Douglas Adams and, and all that. So um, as I got more into their writing and everything, there's a lot of interconnected jokes <laughs> um, as you go through uh, some it's of the Discworld stuff and and uh there's some uh, some jokes in sandman and uh, references and stuff as well so uh yeah but uh douglas adams just kind of became the thing that shows up all the time and uh it was i was still living with that particular ex when douglas adams died and that was a a massive horrible day in our household when the news came down so one day in my household because my, my parents are both fans as well and you know they're the ones that introduced me to hitchhiker's guide and they were both incredibly devastated when he passed yeah um so that was that that was kind of a a huge a huge blow for for anybody who was a big fan because you know it wasn't like it was you know when terry pratchett passed everybody had known for a while that he was terminally ill and that he would eventually be leaving us but uh douglas adams death kind of came out of nowhere I, I feel a really stupid kind of personal connection to douglas adams too because uh in uh, in the fifth book of the trilogy, yes, it's a trilogy of five books, um, mostly harmless. Uh, he is on the restored planet Earth with Trillian, 
and they're in Santa Barbara, California, eating at a particular fish restaurant. And he angrily calls the waiter aside and says, why is this bloody fish so good? And I know exactly which restaurant it is because I've eaten there many, many times. So that's my that's that's how I feel a little bit of a personal connection with Douglas Adams. And why is the bloody fish so good? Because it's just good. It's fresh caught. I mean, they they prepare it perfectly. It's a really good restaurant. <laughs> it's not one I can afford to eat at every every time I go to Santa Barbara, but every once in a while, it's just it's nice to treat yourself to the to the fish company. <sighs> Um, this movie also makes a few references to both the radio and television series. Yes. Because we have Simon Jones, who was the original Arthur Denton, both makes a cameo appearance. He's the answering machine at Magrathia. (laughs) Yeah. And we get the original Marvin robot costume making a cameo appearance. From the series. Yeah, it's it's in the it's in the queue when they go to uh, rescue Trillian. My, and, one of my favorite, my, one of my favorite Arthur Dent lines. I'm British. We know how to cue. <laughs> yeah. And then they, and then they, and then of course, with Zaphod being played by an American, he immediately breaks the, the line and pushes his way to the front of it because he is the president. I mean, Rockwell basically plays Zaphod as George H. George W. Bush. Yeah, I mean. Which which I kind of like because it is such a fascinating bit of if they're going to pull all of the personality out of Trillion, they they gave a, a little bit of, you know, with, with Trillion being played by like an American woman. Zaphod at least being played by an American man uh, helped make up for that a little bit Mm. because he can it can be a joke on like how these two men kind of interact because they've Ford, Ford Prefect in this is so I don't know Ford Prefect is feels so different from the Ford Prefect of the book. He's a bit too timid for me. Not as quick-witted as uh, again my reference is the series. So he's not as quick-witted as as the as that Ford. And he's just yeah, kind of yeah. bizarre. Yeah, you got the the sense from other versions of Ford that he was a little bit more roll with the punches and think on his feet. And for some reason, Ford in this film is a little bit more like he takes the don't panic a little too too, too much to heart. Yeah, it's more like a Buddhist monk who's never left the temple suddenly trying to go on an adventure, you know? As opposed to somebody who's been doing this his whole life. Yeah, as opposed to a guy who's been sent out to gather information for the Hitchhiker's Guide, which is what Ford is supposed to be. Which is something he mentions, but never really comes back up in the movie. 
Also, he mentions the towel, but he never explains why the towel is important. Yeah, that yeah, was the that is one, one the thing that bugs me about the movie. Yeah, yeah me too. They, they once he like when he should have uh, when he introduced the towel, they should have cut away to the guide explaining why the towel was important. Yeah, and maybe I love, maybe there's a deleted the scene. Maybe there's a yeah, deleted maybe. scene that explains it. I don't know. Uh, but I want to go back to one more bit of references to the original radio and television show, the theme song, Journey of the Sorcerer by the Eagles. And that is a a newly recorded version of, of the Journey of the Sorcerer with, I believe, the composer for the film playing the banjo on it. Yeah, and, I that that in the in the theater even if even if you don't know what it is that on the like, you know, surround sound speakers in the theater just like really hits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I knew it was a reference to something cuz I knew that it was a show before. So I said, "Oh, okay, this must be the theme song to the TV show and this is supposed to be recreating the intro." I get it. I never and I never listened to the radio the radio plays until long after I'd seen the movie because I you know when I saw the movie I was mostly just familiar with the books at the time and so um and once I finally listened to the uh, to the radio show I was like oh yeah that's where that came from and it it like it fits the mood of the Hitchhiker's Guide perfectly The only other song that is synonymous with Hitchhikers would be uh Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong which Played in the trailer for this movie, but not in the movie itself. I mean, I think the the opening musical number of the movie is pretty good, too. The, the So Long and Thanks for All the Fish. Oh, yeah. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all the day. I was not <laughs> expecting that when, when I went in the theater and then that came up. And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be amazing. Yeah, and that was one of the, you know, because... That was one of the things that, I mean, this is back in, in 2005, so uh, it was still kind of in the in the early days of video online and <laughs> stuff. The early days um, of YouTube. Yeah, no, I think yeah. I remember downloading this trailer from apple.com slash trailers when it came out. Yeah. And like it waiting, was... waiting 20 minutes to download it in the highest quality it could be, which was like... You know, not even 720p, and yeah, but you know, I I remember being so in love with that, with the the opening song, and I was like, no, I I must learn this song, and I like opened it up on a tab and like downloaded it into the tab and waited and waited and waited and waited. <laughs> has to be like don't ever close this tab must have this song because <laughs> it had the the like sing-along lyrics and stuff with the little bouncing dolphin yep. ball or whatever yeah. that was in there not just like a couple of days after it came out they they put it up for for people and it was like must learn song, <laughs> and we get two versions of it. We get the Broadway musical style version at the beginning, and that smooth jazz version at the end. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. 
<laughs> Interestingly enough, since we've been talking about Doctor Who, the guy that sang that smooth jazz version mm-hmm. is also the guy that uh, the song for 10 for Doctor Who. Oh, wow. Well, I woke up today and the world was a restless place. That's also uh, David Tennant dressed as Arthur Dent for most of the episodes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's when he, yeah, that's when he's doing that and he's picking out his clothing and yeah. This movie focuses more than any other incarnation of the of the story. Focuses a lot on the Arthur Trillian romance. Well, another artifact of it being a Hollywood production, I think. You need a love story. The, the yeah. you know the protagonist it was never really a focus of any any version before. Yeah, Arthur kind of accepted that Trillian had moved on, and he and he accepted that, and he moved on himself. But this one is like he, he kind of becomes a bit of an a hole once he gets on the heart of gold about it. I mean, to be fair, Zaphod does punch him in the face with his, with his third arm without telling him that there's a third arm there. Yeah, but I mean, that is the ultimate sucker punch. Mm. Boy, let me tell you, that third arm effect does not really hold up. There are so many effects in this that do not hold up. That and the the second head, I think, doesn't really work very well. Yeah, I never liked the way they did the second head for Zaphod. He gets flips it back and there's a second head there. And again, I I, I just recently saw the, the series, so. For 1980s, that animatronic head, not so bad. And I get that they wanted to keep the cost of this movie low and having two heads, probably one CG, would have it ballooned this project, would have ballooned the budget for this movie. And I think that's another reason that, that Hama Kabula um, cuts the second head off so they don't have to deal with it for the third act. Yeah. But if they were going to do that anyway, and you've already got. You know, the Henson Creature Shop working on your movie. Why not just have a puppet head? Yeah, why Why can't you have them do some kind of puppet something for Zaphod? Eh, I don't know. Yeah, There's no reason it ha- even has to look human. They could, they could have written something. Hey, you know, well, why does that head look like this? Uh, it's part of being a president. I have to have the head of another species attached to me to get the perspective of the other side. Yeah, I mean, they could have come up with any number of reasons. But but we actually get more of the party that Trillian and, and, and Arthur meet at. You know, they have their dinner, they get close, and... As as we mentioned, he asked she asked her to go to Madagascar, and there's this movie also seems to not know what they want Arthur to be. Is he the brave guy who's going to lay down in front of a bulldozer, or is he the coward who can't accept this offer from another woman? Is he the guy that's going to go in raw and with with with? Is he going to bust in and and rescue Trillian, or is he too afraid to go through a portal? I don't know that I see him laying down in front of the bulldozer as brave. Yeah, that's I think that's, that's, I think that's, just an, act of de- that's an act of desperation. <laughs> yeah, even in the book, that's just an act of desperation. And everybody thinks he's just being ridiculous. Which, I mean, 
understandable. Yeah. His home's about to get bulldozed. You know, Arthur Dent was always written as a man who was, at least at the beginning, you know, he grows over the series, but at the beginning, he was always written as a guy who never really had a plan and never really intended to do anything. He just always kind of stumbled into stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got a, you know, kind of a middle of the road job and he's got a okay house and he's got a a trailer that he can go camping in sometimes. And he's just, you know, he's just a guy. Yeah. And the joke is always like, uh, Zaphod's just some guy, you know, but that's really true about Arthur. Mm. Like if you're trying to describe Arthur, you just be like, yeah, he's Arthur. He lives down the road. He's just some guy, you know, he goes to the pub some, some nights. (laughs) Yeah. Mostly keeps to himself. it's just it's just that guy. But also that does play into the Trillian, because Arthur is, from Trillian's perspective, Arthur is boring. And she doesn't want boring. She wants exciting. Like she said, she just wants, at, at a moment's notice, she'll let's go to get at Madagascar. And he says, let's, let's not do that. Let's think this through. Let's not do that. Let's, let's go here, and we'll work our way to Madagascar. Meanwhile, I can, got, I can see that point of view too. Like, I can, it, I, I can see that. But from Trillian is like, she seems to be just want excitement. And then here comes this guy. I'm an alien from outer space. Come on my spaceship. Oh wow, this is exciting. This is fantastical. And she, she at least from what I've seen, doesn't seem to have that much of a worry about it. At least in this movie, she gets the ramifications of. Jumping in with a guy who seems exciting versus the boring guy who seems to actually care about her. Yeah, and I don't know that she, she I don't know that she really sees Arthur as boring, just uh, but just sort of not exciting. There's a difference because she finds him witty. She laughs at his jokes. She yells at him to grow a backbone. This that is true. So he does. She does kind of see him on some level as a as a bore. I mean, he even, uh, Zayfight even says, is this man boring you? Come on my spaceship. And then she does. So at least in that moment, she's considered him a boring person. Yeah. Well, she says that she wants to go somewhere she's never been before. Okay? And think about where they are. All right? And, you know, they're, they're in a little town in England, and she's she says, and she sounds American, all right? And she's in this little town in England. And he is from, he, a little guy, he's, he's a guy in a little town in England. And she says, I want to go to Madagascar and see somewhere I've never seen before. And he says, oh, well, you know, let's go to, to where, he's, where does he say, like Grimsby or Cornwall. something? Cornwall. Oh, Cornwall, yeah. Like, which, the most boring country on the island of Britain. Yeah, like, where would you say to an American girl who has somehow ended up in your little town in England, where she says, I want to go someplace I've never seen before? Okay, you I'd don't want to go all least, the way to Madagascar, maybe. I'd start with at least maybe Ireland. Okay. Plane hop over, I, the, over, the, over, you the, know, over the sea. 
yeah, let's go to Ireland or let's go to somewhere in Scotland or how about Amsterdam? Paris? It's it's just a quick train ride o- over the channel. Amsterdam, you know, maybe? that that's like a weekend trip, maybe depending on where you are in England. OK, maybe Germany. That's not too far. Maybe you got to get on a plane, but you're still back in a day or two. OK. There's like a whole bunch of really interesting places to an American girl on the continent of Europe that's not that far from England. (laughs) Okay? He doesn't have to step that far out of his comfort zone to take her. Also, they're in a little town in England. London? Have you been to London yet? (laughs) What about Cardiff? Cardiff's a big city. That's in Wales. That sounds exciting. Like, really? He can't even take her to a big city? He says Cornwall? And I think that's part of the thing is that he wants to play it safe, at least in this moment. And he knows... That's that's her problem, is is it's it's not that he's like... You know, when she says, like, grow a backbone, that's kind of what she means. Like, it's not that he's... That he's, you know, whatever. It's like he literally wants to take the tiniest, most boring step out of wherever he is. Which is a particularly British thing to do, I think. Yeah. Which makes makes sense for Trillian to be American. Yeah, like that's that's being an American and that's like living in the the backwater of like Idaho and somebody says like, take me somewhere you've never been. And they're like, have you ever been to Ohio? Like, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like, I don't know. Take me to New York City, you know, like, yeah. Take me to a coast, you know? (laughs) Says the girl that lives in a small town. Well, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, she wants to go somewhere to her exotic, and he's like, I don't know, let's go to another tiny country English town that'll be exactly like the place we are now. And and he, he, I mean, granted, this is months later, and he actually realized, yeah, I screwed up badly with that. If I had said yes, we would, you know, we'd still be together, but they'd also be dead. Which he does bring up later in the movie. Yeah. On one hand, you I know, he could have known that at the time, but no, no, no. But in, in, on one hand, it's it's a it's a, 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 a I hate saying the phrase, but you know, unanswered prayers. But also, it is it does feed into. My my feeling of them kind of making uh, uh, Arthur a bit of an a hole. Say you know he could have been an a hole about hey I saved your life by not going on this thing with you, but <laughs> yeah they would have they would have gone off together and they would have died the next day you know. <laughs> Six so, months, I believe she's... Two months later. Yeah, she's been gone off Earth for about six months. Oh, yeah, that's that's right. He said the party was, like, before. That's right. Yeah. I always forget that bit. I always think it's like, you know, which, oh, I which, went to a party this weekend. and <laughs> Again, which, which 
if he's been gone off Earth six months, uh, book slash TV show slash radio trillion seems to get over Earth being gone real quickly for being gone six months. At least in the movie, it's a more realistic response from Trillian when she finds out what happened to Earth. Yeah, because when she leaves Earth, she always thinks, like, well, I'm going to go back. She even says it. I would have called you when I got back. But, you know, I think think there is something in the... You can kind of forgive Arthur a little bit for what he says because this dude is going through some serious trauma he lost his house he lost his world and i mean he woke up that morning and was getting ready to make tea and then suddenly he watches his house get demolished and his planet get demolished in the span of about 15 minutes also he drinks three pints of beer in about a minute and a half so he gets really really drunk in the morning yeah which he was not intending to do. Which I, I am sad that this uh, that this movie omits one of my favorite lines from the book. So it's uh, actually two of my favorite lines in the same in the same span is uh, one uh, where he says, "You're about to be teleported. It's rather like being unpleasant, like being drunk." And then Arthur asks, "What's so unpleasant about being drunk?" And Ford responds with, "Have you ever asked a glass of water?" Yeah. And then the other one is. Uh, the ships hung in the air in exactly the way that bricks don't. That has always been my favorite line of Douglas Adams, I think, ever. Because when I was... The imagery is just so good. Yeah, when I was first reading it, I was like, I was like, okay, let's let's see why everybody thinks this guy is such an amazing writer. And I got to that line and I was like, okay, I get it. This line alone proves why everyone thinks this guy is is the best. Like, and honestly, looking at the way they portrayed the Vogon ships, when I saw that in the theater, I was like, you know what? That is exactly the way that bricks don't. Yeah. Like, bravo to whoever came up with the design of the Vogon ships in the air around the planet. Because when I looked at that, I was like... That is kind of what I pictured in my brain when I read that line. My only quibble is they weren't yellow. Well, yeah. They were brownish, and I think that was enough. Yeah, but they're described as yellow in the in the book. Yeah. yeah. But that's, um, that's, that, that is a minor quibble, because I agree. I think the, the, the design of the, the Vogon ships was great. I thought the design of the Heart of Gold was great. Deep Thought? Deep Thought was fantastic, voiced by Helen Mirren. Yeah. Yeah. I think my favorite bit was the way that they portrayed the uh, the whale and the the pot of pansies. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, no, and uh, and it's Bill Bailey as the whale, which I yeah. loved. And it's them this doing big round that. thing coming towards me. It needs a big round sort of name. I'll call it the ground. <laughs> yeah, Hello, ground. The, do you want to be my friend? Splat. The, the way Bill Bailey does that entire monologue when when you're reading that in the book. And you and I mean that whole monologue is just taken verbatim from the book. Yeah. And when you're reading that in the book and you're like, oh my goodness. And it's just and the way it gets like faster and happier and like <laughs> and then there's just the thud and yeah. the the clouds go like poof, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then seconds later, as during the conversation the characters had, you hear you hear that glass crash. <laughs> 
uh, yeah. the bowl of petunias uh, hits the ground. Yeah. <laughs> Strangely, the only thing that went through the mind of the bowl of petunias was, oh no, not again. Yeah. Which is a mystery that is not explained until the fifth book. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so great. Poor Agrajudge. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and another piece of perfect casting is Bill Nye as Slutty Bartfest. Yeah. Yeah. Just that that came out of nowhere too. Just sort of understated British kind of just work a day guy, except he designs planets. And I and I love him just calmly talking to Arthur as the they're going through this like terrifying like roller coaster. Uh, that is one. That is one reason I wish the movie had been more successful because I really want that to be a ride. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it would. It's a Disney movie. It, it could have been a thing. I mean, this could have been Guardians of the Galaxy before Guardians of the Galaxy. I honestly just, see it as kind of like a 3D motion ride, yeah. sort of like soaring over America kind of thing. Soaring over the Megrathia factory floor. <laughs> yeah, soaring Activate, over Megrathia. I mean, the idea of using the improbability drive with those screens. Oh, yeah, that would be fantastic. That would be great. Uh, so some other great, like the, the, the stop motion yarn animation. Of oh, yeah. They, <gasps> and the, <laughs> or Ford. I think I'm a sofa. <laughs> yeah. And then they just scream. <laughs> I mean, can you blame them? <laughs> but, you know, like, like just the, the, just the understatedness of Bill Nye's performance is like, it's just, my name is, is Slotty Botfast. Told you it wasn't important. <laughs> I just uh, love some, somebody with the, the kind of poise that Bill Nye can pull off just standing there being like, my name, my name is Slutty Bartfest. <laughs> like, just, he's just ashamed such of a ridiculous name. name. Like, he knows how ridiculous his name is and he's just ashamed of it. I just, I love, I love that some of the names in, in Hitchhiker's Guide just feel like Douglas Adams just like smash, doing a keyboard smash and be like, okay, that's a name. No, no, no. He had he just went into a bag full of a scrabble and pulled out random tiles. <laughs> There's your reference. Yep. But the, the other, the other, the other bit of philosophy from Slaughter Bartfest that that really got me when in this watch through was uh, where he goes. He says to Arthur, "I'd rather be happy than right." And Arthur says, "Well, how's that going for you? Not well." <laughs> yeah. That, it's like that, that is that, that is the, that is the mood. Yeah. The. The thing is, though, is that I love, I love the bit with the doors, the the sighing doors uh. on the on the heart of gold, mm-hmm. and Marvin's reaction to it. Oh, shut up! <laughs> with this like hideous, isn't it? Like <laughs> just. Uh, again, after after watching the series, not having the door saying, please enjoy your trip through this door. Thank, it is our pleasure to, for, for you to enter us and stuff like that. It's like that, that being cut from the movie. Well, the thing is, is I think if I remember correctly, I think the thing about the doors sighing is a joke from 
Starship Titanic. Mm. Because I seem to remember that being a joke from that game and that every time you walked through a door they gave like a like an orgasmic sign <laughs> <laughs> and like you you couldn't hear it but it was like in the in the text you know or maybe that was from the text version of the Hitchhiker's Guide game I forget but I think it was from one of the video games that Douglas Adams did um where the, that was the thing because like the the ship was supposed to give you the the sensation that it was so pleased to have you on board or whatever <laughs> that everything you did was supposed to make you feel like you were giving the ship a pleasure to serve you <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it turned out to be like really off-putting instead I mean the the size the door makes the doors make are pretty off putting. Yeah, but I think they toned it down a bit from from the original Adams joke that I remember it yeah. from if, from if, whatever he took it from. If this was PG thirteen rather than just PG, they could have got a little bit more with those with those size, a little bit more orgasmic with the size. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's because it's PG. We didn't get any mention of Eccentrica Columbus either. Mm. Yeah. The triple-breasted whore of Eroticon Six. <laughs> the thing that I did like that the movie showed is the mice are a bit more um, active. Now, granted, because of limitations of the '80s and how they wanted the the books to focus on the characters, you don't really see the mice doing stuff. But in the movie, you're they're they're actually active. You're actually seeing what they're doing. Yeah, no, I like it. I like and I like that they tied it in. That you, they made it very clear that the uh, the mice were the pan dimensional beings. Yeah. That was always something that that kind of evaded me when I read the books as a kid, and so that, I like that they made that a little more clear. Although seeing these smashed pan-dimensional beings after he hit them with that bowl was kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. And keep in mind that their pan-dimensional forms are children. Yeah, which is why I think even Zaphod is like, oh, I think I'm going to be sick now. <laughs> like, like, even Zaphod has a line he won't cross. <laughs> which, you know, gives some character growth to him that there's even a line he won't cross. But Arthur didn't know that. He just saw two mice. And he squished them, yeah. and then when he lifted it up, it, oh, these are two gray-haired children-looking things that just faded back into their own dimension. He probably didn't <laughs> actually kill them. He just probably pushed their protrusions back into that dimension. And they weren't even unconscious. They were still moving and twitching and looking at him. So they, I think it was more of a, of, of a, of a hasty retreat versus him killing them. Can we talk about the one thing that I've always had kind of beef with Arthur and Trillian over? Go for it. Sure. At, I mean, at, at least in this movie form, mm -hmm. you know, Slardy Bartfast kind of comes comes up to them and he's like, well, you know, the mice are gone, so I guess that makes you in charge. We've already got it completed. There's no sense in letting it go, go to waste. So here's New Earth. 
we exactly can as, exactly as it was. Yeah, exactly as it was right before it went boom. Do you want us to make people? any changes? Or do you want us to pick up the program right away? Like, Arthur couldn't be like, yeah, can you make it a utopia? Can you make, like... Can racism not be a thing? Yeah, like, no cancer, no, like, I mean, like, anything? Like, there, there's not a single improvement he can, like... Can murder not be a thing? Like, nothing? There's nothing that either of you can think about? <laughs> They're too interested in each other at this point. So, which is is a bit of a drag. It's like, they're so into each other that they don't really care what happens to the Earth at this point. You can have your Earth the way you want it. I'm just, I got the girl. Blah. Which comes after this great moment with, with Arthur and the mice. Like you said, the only question that ever matters to me, is she the one? And the answer better be yes. Which is a okay, nice... that's nice and sweet and cute and adorable and yeah, romance, whatever. Okay, but there's about to be like 7 billion people brought back to life and you can't think of a single thing to make life better for them? I don't think Douglas Adams thought that far. Uh, yeah, no, I know exactly Douglas Adams cares in the world. Like, he was a huge environmentalist. He was, like, really big into philosophy. He was really big. Like, to say, like, Douglas Adams didn't think that far is an insult to the memory of Douglas Adams. Like, come on. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. It just it makes me think worse of the two last humans at that point, you know? Mm. Like they couldn't have been like, yeah, can you can you bring it back to exactly how it was except no climate change? Like, you know. But considering you that earth also is bring the back the dodo, like <laughs> I mean, considering the earth is supposed to be this big supercomputer that as its existence is supposed to come to the answer, changing anything changes a variable. But, and that's going to get into the other books and the other stuff that isn't covered in the movie. <laughs> How they, you know, the, you know, the other things and that the program was already screwed up anyway. But they don't know that. And Arthur has already made the decision that, like, if his brain holds the the question he doesn't care so he's already killed the two beings that want to know anyway i also feel like if there is if there is um a message from the hitchhiker's guide which you know it's a stretch to say that douglas adams intended a message at all um it is that the question doesn't really matter which is why he made the question so ridiculous like if the answer is forty two, I mean that's why the, the, that, that must mean the that means the question doesn't really is not really great either. So I mean the answer is ridiculous. The question is ridiculous, and that's the point. Yeah. So it's, if, it's kind of a wholesome nihilism. 
Yeah, so if that doesn't matter, then let's go back to making life better for the people who are going to live on the computer. Like, you literally have God standing right there asking, do you want to make anything better on Earth? And you just say no and walk away? Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Arthur Denton is Satan. That's that's what that's that's what I'm saying. Like I said, he's got the girl now. I don't think he, he doesn't really care about anything else. Which, yeah, make your own feeling on that. Satan but, in a bathrobe. But the you know, like uh, like the mice say, we don't want to be happy. We want we want to be famous. And I think if you're looking for answers, you should look in uh, Ulan Kolofid's third book. Who is this God person anyway? Yeah. <laughs> oh, one more thing I wanted to mention is the influence that this had on the early internet. Because now that you said that, the Bab- the, the Babblefish, the first online translator was named Babblefish after the creature from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And oh, the incorrect translations it gave us. You thought Google Translate was bad. <laughs> Yeah, I used to play around with that thing, and boy, was it funny. <laughs> well, it's really fun to, to, to go through multiple languages and uh, wind up back where you started and you see just how far it would drift. Oh, yeah. And the fact that one of the early messaging services that's still in use today is called Trillion. Yep. After the character. That's good. I used Geeks. that a lot back in the day. Geeks run the world. I don't know if you knew this or not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, the, the influence of Douglas Adams and his characters in the early days of the internet, which is still being felt today. Uh, there's one so, semi-major character we didn't bring up, and that was the vice president, which I think they just yeah, this stuck was a in new there ca- just to give Zaphod, Zaphod somebody to wind up with at the end. Yeah, they, they wanted to have him with a, a girl, so they had we have a new character of the vice president, played by Anna Chancellor. And like from the beginning, she has this jealous streak about her. She's jealous of Trillian. She's skinny and cute and, you know. So, of course, she's lying. Because <laughs> she wants to get her out of the picture. There's that. And, and then my, the other ridiculous thing was the, uh, the, the Vogon soldiers' guns I thought were amazing. Mm. Just these big blocks that just shoot lasers in any direction except apparently the one they want to hit. Mm. I really loved Marvin's thing. They're like, why are you all running? They're the worst shots in the world. (laughs) I mean, stormtrooper logic, I guess. Well, and it 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 is perfectly uh, it is perfectly within Marvin's character to get shot by somebody who's a terrible shot. Right in the back of the head too. He is brain the size of a planet, and he gets shot in the back of the head. (laughs) Yeah, when I saw that, like. Are they really going to kill off Marvin in the in this? You know, in you know, if they had continued, you know, like are they were going to kill off Marvin right here, and you know that he kind of shakes that off and gets gets back up because you know, brain the size of a planet. I guess one shot wouldn't have done much damage because he seems fine afterwards. Yeah, I mean, I I was kind of wondering because you know Marvin eventually dies, but. In the books, he eventually dies because he he wants to, really. Yeah, but then he resurrects and winds up parking cars at Millieways again. 
And of course, the, the the last thing we see in the movie as they go into Imparability Drive is Douglas Adams' face. Yep. And then the the first credit is for Douglas, which mm-hmm. you know I, I really do feel like they 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 made this movie with with him in mind and with with wanting to do uh, as close to what his vision could would be as they could. Given the budget and given, I mean, considering that this is a Disney produced film. And we have seen that there are times where Disney does like to meddle. They don't meddle in established franchises. And considering this was not very well established in terms of a wide American audience, I'm surprised they let it go the way it did. I think that's uh, the fact that it was a touchstone production uh, probably helped with that as well. Because it was not, wasn't under the uh, the Disney label even though it was under the Disney company that it was, you know, touchstones have always been their more sort of uh, adult and experimental arm, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, uh, Pulp Fiction was a touchstone picture. Mm. Yeah. But I, yeah. I, I, I honestly really like how self-contained that the movie is like, it, it doesn't leave a lot of, like you said earlier, it's not a cliffhanger. It's a nice, nice self-contained story that leaves the possibility for more, but doesn't necessarily require more. Yeah. But part of me, like it's it's been twenty years. I, I mean, I think it's time to take these to do something, you know. But maybe that's just me. Again, I'm living in a world with a new Marvel movie, a new Star Wars thing every couple of months. So it's like, why not try it? I, mean, I don't know. I kind of walked out of the theater with this, and I thought to myself, like, I think that's the best we're ever gonna get. Possibly. And I kind of just thought like, okay, that, that, that's enough now, you know, like yeah, maybe we should just stop. The stories exist in multiple different forms and each one has their, their pluses and minuses. And I think as a whole, the franchise exists in a pretty good place right now. You know, it's, they've, 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 they've got, uh, you know, whatever your, whatever your flavor is, they have it. And it, it, and all the, all the adaptations and, and, and versions are pretty good. And I still, think maybe still what I'd like to see is like a good graphical modern video game version. Hmm. Yeah. Where you could where you could take the the story and play like Arthur or Trillian or Ford and run around the galaxy and do weird things and then you could maybe have a new storyline but I think it would be ideal for one of those LucasArts style point and click kind of games yeah but you would also just have bits that were just taken straight from the books that could just have Douglas Adams words you know mm-hmm. bits from the guide or you know I would see conversations it more. I would see it more like a Telltale interactive game for this, but that's just me. But then again, I'm always that's my thing for certain non-action centered video games. Like, like a Doctor Who game would be perfect in that style. They did one for you know, um, for for Walking Dead and and Batman and Guardians. So I'm thinking that that type of game would work for 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 hitchhikers or you know uh strong bad's cool game for attractive people mm. yeah 
Uh, I was any- I was thinking the way they did the old Discworld games, where it was more like a wander around and solve puzzles and meet people and you know find things kind of game. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the Monkey Island kind of games. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's that's, that's kind of what I was thinking too. On that, uh, let us ask the question: Does Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the movie, have the magic? Uh, Adam, you're our guest, so you go first. Uh, yes, absolutely. And it's not a perfect adaptation of Hitchhiker's Guide, but I don't think I don't think there could be such a thing as a perfect adaptation because all the versions are so different. And I think as it exists and as it was made, that it's 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 got a lot to go for it. it I really enjoyed watching it again. Kiki. Yeah, I definitely still think it has magic. Uh, I enjoyed the rewatch. I've always liked the movie. Um, There's, you know, some things that I think would have been done different had it been made uh, in Adam's lifetime. But, uh, you know, I think it is really good for what we got. And I still think it's probably the best we're gonna do so i want to say yes it does have magic uh i didn't we haven't mentioned it it yet but the i forgot the amount of cringe humor they put into this movie which it's 2005 martin freeman was best known for the office and that's what they did so it was the style at the time other than that i think it's 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 still a good movie uh Judging it as as itself, not as an adaptation, but as a movie on its own, it's still pretty good. I think it's still worth a watch. And yeah, if this is the only Hitchhiker's Guide movie that will ever exist in the history of forever, it's not a bad one. I know there are people who 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 dislike it because of it was made after Douglas Adams' passing, but the fact that they did everything they could to stay true to the spirit of Adams' writing... And as closely as they could, uh, yeah, uh, I still say this movie has some magic. All right, before we wrap up, Adam, do you have anything to plug? Sure, as always, you could find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram and TikTok as Big Base Bone. Uh, I've been making a lot of content recently, but I will be uh, in the next couple months, hopefully, get back to on onto that. Um, you can also find my band, the world-famous Poxy Boggards. We're just wrapping up our run at the Southern California Renaissance Pleasure Fair, and which I believe will be over by the time this episode comes out. But uh, we have a brand new album. It is the 13th album for the band. It's the band's 30th anniversary. And uh, the new album is called Triska Dickophobia. And it's, uh, it's available on all major streaming services right now. All right. So let's move on to next week. Wow, we are getting back into the TARDIS, Kiki, because it's time to once again continue our 60th anniversary retrospective on Doctor Who with the sixth Doctor. Colin and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Doctor in distress, sending out an SOS. All right, can't wait. So, yeah, that's going to be very interesting to talk about. Is there any way I could talk you into doing one of the audio adventures? I didn't think so. <laughs> Sadly, no. No. I did. I we, got, we, gotta, we gotta stick to the, the official canon ones. Uh, okay. 
So uh, we will come back next week to talk about the sixth doctor, Colin Baker, next week. And we will talk to you all next time. So long and thanks for all the fish. Pen Galactic Gargle Blasters for everyone. Oh, I've got pain in my left diodes. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. Podcasts are fun. But there's work to be done. We encourage you to get involved. Here are some organizations we support. The American Civil Liberties Union fights for the constitutional rights of all Americans. Find them at ACLU.org. The National Network of Abortion Funds helps people find access to safe abortion services. Their site is abortionfunds.org. The Trevor Project provides a 24-7 crisis helpline for LGBTQ youth and education services for schools on LGBTQ issues. They can be found at thetrevorproject.org. Or find a way to help in your area. Is that uh, good or do, you, or do you want to do a third round? I think we can do, a, do, do that and you can piece it together from the two. All right, that sounds good. Let's let's stop the recording.